name is Molly, and welcome to Hiding Behind the Music Stand. I'm your host, Patty Ryan, and with me is Nikki Son, who is a composer currently pursuing a doctoral degree at Rice University's Shepherd School of Music with full scholarship. Some recent highlights consist of commissions, premieres, and performances by the St. Louis Symphony, Annapolis Symphony, Atlanta Chamber Players, Carpe Diem String Quartet, and is the composer-in-residence with the Kinetic Ensemble based in Houston, Texas. She is a co-founder of Sounding Board, the new music initiative for guitarists and composers, which focuses on promoting collaborative relationships between composers and performers to create new works for guitar, commissioning 15 composers in the 2020 season alone. Her music is influenced by jazz greats like Chet Baker, Bill Evans, and Carlos Jobin, and self-describes her music as an organic way of generating rhythmic patterns. You get a natural sense of forward motion that's also harmonically compelling. And we'll be talking about K-pop and how the genre has influenced her compositions. Welcome, Nikki. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So it's funny because I feel like I just met you in the last nice. rotation of Kinetic in October, where also was the first time I was able to perform one of your pieces through that ensemble, which was about Jolene, your fish a bit, or it was about what if pipes burst, right? Yes. The freeze that happened in, was it 2021? 2021. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. No, 2020. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or was it 2022? 2022 felt like such a long time. I don't know about you. I know. It's also 2023 and January is almost over. It's crazy. Yeah, I know. Like, time. I don't know time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I felt like the moment we started hanging out, it was at, you know, the infamous Ice House, Alabama Ice House. That's right. Yeah. I felt like we had a almost immediate connection. And of course, we were talking about all these mutual friends we have in common. And it's like, okay, well, clearly Nikki's really cool. And I really want to get to know her a little more. So I wanted to ask you to be a guest on the podcast today. So yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to our upcoming performance of your piece. It's a violin concerto that you're writing for Mary Grace. Mm -hmm. I'm super excited for it too. So the premiere is going to be on March 3rd. Everyone mark your calendars. It's a long piece, actually. It's a 20 minute long violin concerto. And I've never written a 20 minute long, just like through composed piece. Mm. So no movement breaks. It's a Taka 20 minute long piece. And it's based on and inspired by the stories that we've gathered from interviews that we had from the graduates from the women's home Houston. Women's home is a rehab facility mm-hmm. with women with addictions and the interviews were just so moving and also very inspiring and so I've been super pumped about this project. I've been working on it very hard yeah. and yeah I turned it in like a few weeks ago. So, yeah, yeah yeah I'm excited to see the manuscript for that. So <laughs> what was it about the violin concerto medium that you felt that would represent these women? women's stories the best so actually it goes back a little bit mary grace johnson and i were both the camera young artists Mm -hmm. for three years and for our second year project we worked with the women's home Mm -hmm. and we had interviews with them and this was during the pandemic so we had like several zoom meetings with current residents of the facility and i wrote a piece for violin and piano that sort of like summed up what they were sharing about the space the women's home And that project was really meaningful for us, especially because we were all isolated to one another, you know, during the pandemic, but like sharing these stories and also hearing about them and their journeys, like it was super moving that we wanted to go further with 
the project and create something that was even bigger and also that maybe embraced some of the graduate stories. And also we felt that it was really empowering to work with women, especially in music industry. I feel like we end up working with a lot of men, you know, especially for composers. Like I go into a room and it's mostly just filled with men, but this was very much like a women centric project. And I really liked that aspect of it. And so for the violin concerto, we also decided to include dance Mm -hmm. as another element to it. So we looked at a lot of different choreographers that work in Houston area and we found Kayla Collymore. She's an awesome dancer and awesome choreographer. And so it became even like a bigger women centric piece. And also, you know, Natalie Kinetic's leader is also a woman. So it just sort of like all made sense to us that like we do this like big project together and also like coming out of the pandemic I thought it would be like a very meaningful thing to like put together so yeah Mm -hmm. yeah well again I'm looking forward to it can't wait to hear Mary Grace play your stuff she clearly has a very strong connection with you Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, we've been at Rise together for the past four years now Mm -hmm. and yeah we've just grown to become really close friends actually she was over here last night with another friend of mine Chelsea D'Souza also in our year Mm -hmm. and it's so funny like you know before like I would say like five six years ago if I have like a gathering we talk about like really silly things like oh my god like you're close like you're this whatever <laughs> but like yesterday Mary Grace literally pulled out the spreadsheet of her spendings and income <laughs> from last year and like she helped me I don't know live like an adult and so she shared the spreadsheet and I put in all the you know columns and categories for January oh my god I mean like, that's a true was, friend come on <laughs> helping with your finances yeah <laughs> I know and I like pulled up my Roth and I was like am I doing this right and I wasn't doing it right and so Chelsea and Mary Grace were like um no like this is not how you do this so if I didn't have these friends you know I would not have um retirement (laughs) (laughs) it's crazy yeah they're just taking care of you in your old age (laughs) I know seriously we're all in it together yeah totally (laughs) do you have a most insane performance audition composing story whatever would apply best for I mean, I have so many. Maybe I I share like two little things super quick. So one was at Aspen. I was at the Aspen Festival a few years back and we have this like annual orchestra reading for composers. And some composers are chosen to do the second reading and we get to sort of like have a week where we adjust and also like make some changes in our scores and parts. So I made some changes, especially in the percussion parts. I thought that like something were just too loud and like didn't balance right so I do this whole thing and second percussion part is supposed to have this like ginormous bongo solo at the end it was supposed to be like super fun I go there at the reading and the first bar goes and the second percussionist is just like standing there and I was like what is happening Mm Turns out the librarian never really like gave the percussion part to the second percussionist. Uh Uh-oh. Like the updated one. So I go through this entire reading and there's no bongo. There's none of the percussion two parts. So yeah, that was pretty memorable. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Also because it was a reading. So like you get like pretty much like one run through of the piece and that's the recording that you have. Gosh. I know. So like, you know, my teachers were like, maybe you can like create a MIDI patch for it and then like put it on top of the orchestra recording I was like 
I could, but it's no. It's not the same. Yeah, it's really not the <laughs> no. same. Oh, I'm sorry. So, yeah, so I guess that was pretty crazy. I mean, I also have, like, positive stories, but, like, these are just, like, crazy stories. Oh, no, no, I want, the, I, want the, I, want the, I want the dirt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, actually, so this is, like, so many years ago now when I was interviewing for Juilliard. Mm-hmm. So most of the time, like, when you do interviews as a composer, all the composition faculty members are in a room and you're interviewed at the same time. Uh-huh. But at Juilliard, there's this history where you're interviewed by each individual teacher separately. Oh. I know. It's like it's pretty bizarre. I know. Yeah. And so well, you're just like... intimidating, I think, actually. <laughs> I know. But like, you know, it's kind of interesting because like when you do it once, it is intimidating. But like you warm up, you talk about yourself and then, you know, it's fine. Like it goes. But then in this case, I think I had interviews with what? Like four different composers and they're all very different composers. So... Every time you walk into the room, you have to say the same thing again, but a little differently, and they might ask you different things. So, like, it was so stressful. And also, all of these interviews happened in one day. So I was just like in that like Juilliard building, which is not the most welcoming place. No. Um, yeah. And <laughs> I was just like, oh my God, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to me? Hi, my name is Nikki. I did it like four <laughs> times. And oh my God, that was so stressful. And like, you know, these composers are like big name composers that I looked up to. And yeah, yeah. that was definitely memorable. I wouldn't want to do that ever again. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't think there's any circumstance for you to have to be in that position again is that right I mean that's just kind of an unusual audition process yeah I hope so I mean I'm kind of looking at teaching jobs too but I think that's going to be more in like a communal sort of like yeah. big group type of thing right. but you know you never know with this career what's going to happen to that's you you know true. yeah yeah and now you're prepared maybe uh we'll see about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay thanks for sharing those stories with us because so, I mean for frankly for me I have no idea what a composer audition looks like or feels like or what like you know do you <laughs> I'm sure you don't bring performers into the room to perform your music live, right? Yeah, like this, that costs no. too much money. <laughs> I mean, that would be cool. You know, here's an orchestra that I brought yeah. and they're going to play a little bit of it. I mean, that would be awesome. But no, usually we bring like a CD or now like a computer and then you just like plug it in and play yeah. some stuff. Or they generally ask you about, you know, what you've written or what you're about to write, your agenda in like the next 10 years, five years, oh, God, you know, things like that. I would yeah, but under that question yeah i know but you know you just gotta make some stuff up yeah, exactly. at the spot <laughs> if you want to go to that school yeah, right. yeah all right are you ready for some spitfire questions i guess so yeah okay. let's do it robert schumann or johannes brahms schumann tchaikovsky or stravinsky stravinsky <laughs> yeah. yeah okay chocolate or vanilla oh vanilla okay. i don't know neither oh really okay what's what would be an alternative salt <laughs> Okay, so you like you like savory things. Okay. Yes. Okay. Uh oh. Well, this next question might be a challenge as well. Apples or oranges? Oranges. Okay. Favorite zoo animal to see? Oh, red panda. A red panda? Is that what it's called? Like it's like a small panda yeah. that I've seen at the Houston Zoo. That was so cute. Oh my gosh. Okay. I just wanted to double check because growing up in San Diego, the panda was like a big deal in the San Diego Zoo. But oh, you mean yeah, the red panda. yeah, they it's the smaller one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. Look a little yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love those. Yeah. They were so cute. Yeah. 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 Fan favorite question. Favorite concerto for any instrument or instruments in any genre. So, I mean, you already have 
have your violin concerto that we have mentioned. Are there any other concertos you've written? I wrote this small piano concerto type piece a few years back for Chelsea Music Festival. Okay. It was for strings and piano. It was actually based on a song written by Clara Schumann. Oh. So yeah. Well, why, we should play that in Kinetic. <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah, yeah that would be cool. Yeah. Anyway, I guess outside of your music, what is your favorite? Oh my gosh, Salon and Piano Concerto, 100%. Okay. I love that piece. Uh-huh. I'm unfamiliar with it, or with a lot of Salon and music, actually. I mean, I just know him as mainly the past conductor of the LA Phil and the San Francisco Symphony, but... Right. Yeah. I love his music, actually. He's one of my favorite living composers. Mm-hmm. His string quartet is also really awesome. Violin concerto, of course. All his orchestra music is really cool because you can really see that he has a great understanding of orchestra and what sounds good as a conductor. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it really shows. Yeah. Cool. I'll, I'll check it out then. Last show you recommended to a friend? Oh, okay. So back in October, I flew out from Houston to LA to see this boy band, NCT One to. Seven. Okay. They're like a K-pop sensation. Yeah. I didn't want to go alone because, you know, it's better to go with a friend. Course, so yeah. I hit up my sister's friend who lives in LA. My sister used to live in LA, but like she no longer does that. And so I was like, Yumi, you have to come with me. This is going to be so fun. And so like I educated her like a week before yeah. we listened to songs. Yeah. So that concert. What, everything lived up to in your imagination? Oh my God. Yes. I left, <laughs> cried. I lost my voice. It was awesome. <laughs> Bought some merch. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a great concert. Yeah. Yes. Favorite Disney hero or heroine and villain? I don't know. I really like Cinderella, but is she really a heroine? She's, she's a, a princess. Yeah, she's a princess. Sure. Oh, well, we can rewrite <laughs> history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Villain. Okay. I love Gaston. Okay. <laughs> You know why? No. Okay, so that song that he sings at the bar, that's pretty much the one of the only Disney songs that's in six eight, and I love six eight. Oh, I never. Really I love it. that song. I also love yeah. six eight too. I never thought about it that way though. Yeah. Really, I gotta listen to all the Disney hits. <laughs> <laughs> like go through and like wait, what number is everything in? <laughs> I know, but mostly it's like four four. But that one just like hits. It's yeah. Like the 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 Yeah. Worst travel story? Oh my gosh. You know, I try to like block those out. Um, (laughs) I feel like I have some, but you know, actually the first time I flew during or after the pandemic, that was really stressful and very scary. Like I had like my face shield and mask and I did everything I could, but just like being around so many people in the airport. That was just so frightening. Yeah. But I don't know, like flight delays and losing bags, all that happens. And that's just life. <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, yeah, I, I think I mentioned this in another interview with a composer as well, but it's not quite the same, probably, to be a composer and traveling. It's just like you kind of fit in with everyone else as opposed to someone like me with a cello who it's like right. a big ordeal and people get all kind of bent out of shape when they see it. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, but yeah. Sorry. I just got to bring my computer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I'm sorry to hear if, if you had any travel stories you had to block. Out. I think I always have those yeah. like flight delays and just you know people coughing in my face Ugh, and yeah no crying worries. babies yeah. love those <laughs> yeah. most transformative performance experience 
Honestly, I must say, this is like a pretty recent thing, and I've been like very influenced by it. So last January, so about a year ago, my orchestra piece was performed by the St. Louis Symphony. And it was a part of a composer workshop. So like four young composers were chosen, and we flew out there and worked with the orchestra. And also the cool part about it was that the mentor composer was John Adams. I mean, John Adams, you know, like I grew up listening to his music, and I look up to him so much. And it was just such a cool experience for him to like be there in the rehearsals and workshops and like sort of like hear our music and just like being around his presence was super cool and that was also really really scary because that was my sort of like the first orchestra performance after the pandemic I had a lot of like solo pieces done in the pandemic but you know just like going to St. Louis with like this great orchestra in front of me it was so so stressful and like scary for me I mean orchestra is just like very scary for composers I think Mm. I mean if you're a composer and you're not scared Good for you. I am very scared. And so, can I ask what makes it scary? Well, there are so many components to that, but just the sheer number of people that are on the stage looking at all different parts. And, you know, the very first run through of the orchestra piece, I'm always thinking, like, did I make an error in the part? You know? Yeah. And usually I'm okay, but sometimes, you know, the second bassoonist like raises his or her hand and say, you know, oh, I think I'm missing a quarter note rest here. Uh Then, you know, you feel like the worst person possible in this world. And also I'm a pianist. It's a pianist with quotations. And so I've never been in an orchestra. I've never played in an orchestra. I've never really even played chamber music. Uh So just like the dynamic of an orchestra is like such a unique thing that I feel like I'm still trying to understand what that is to be in the orchestra and play the music, especially new music that's not very familiar. And just figuring out the balance and what works, what doesn't work. I can do all the score study I want, but like something that I do might be okay or not okay. And you don't know until you hear it with the real orchestra. So I think that's very intimidating. Mm. But it's also like there's nothing like it. It's so fun i mean you get to tell like these amazing musicians what to do and that's so cool you know i'm like yeah i wrote that like yeah play the clarinet so that's awesome so yeah i love it but also it's just so scary i'm working on one right now and it's just oh like so much like pressure for me yeah Yeah. well i find myself whenever i'm in a position like that that it's probably better and you know than it is your own harshest critic or something like that right right and also like I'm thinking if I wasn't so scared then I just like went in like okay I can do this I feel like I might be a little careless Mm -hmm. I think me being scared and like me being pressured shows that like I really care and I love doing this Mm -hmm. so right yeah I know I kind of interrupted your explanation of your transformative experience with John Adams so forgive me for interrupting and asking that no question was there anything else that you wanted to follow up with oh yeah actually during my visit in St. Louis he's piano control a new one was being performed at the hall so I got to hear what his music sounded like a new piece and also like he was conducting it so that was super cool to like see him workshop his music and also like lead the orchestra musicians I think it's just so cool when composers can do like something else like I can perform or I can conduct you know I don't do any of that so you know he wasn't playing piano was he no he was uh, conducting conducting. yeah and I think that's so awesome when composers can do like two things Yeah, I'm sure over time, it's like, well, what else? I sit in my own little room with a pencil or or I guess a a mouse clicker and put in notes or something. Like, what else can I do? You know, I don't know. Right. So I go bake. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, yeah. that's that's useful too. That's a, just a, I'm sure yeah. people appreciate that as well. <laughs> Favorite professor shout out? You know, I gotta say, Doctor Lavenda. Oh, okay. Richard Lavenda. Hello. Yes, he's not gonna listen to this, but um, <laughs> he's been pretty much like in every step of the way in my rice time, and he's been like a father figure to me almost. Mm. Isn't he the doctoral advisor? Yeah, he's like something like that. Yeah. yeah, he basically like created this DMA program, so he cares a lot about the program and like whoever comes in as a student. But um, I had the privilege to study with him privately last year, and he was just such a good teacher, like musically and also like you know as a composer, it's a very vulnerable thing to show your in progress pieces. So you have to feel very comfortable with sharing your music, but not just that. You have to be open to like sharing why you wrote that and where you are in your life. And I think it just like goes deeper than just musical things. And he was just so good at helping me sort of like shape my thoughts and like think about my life in like a positive and like productive way rather than just like looking at this one bar because like this one bar matters. But I think the bigger picture matters more for me at this point in my life. And so anytime I have like a life crisis, I ask for a lesson and Mm -hmm. it's great. <laughs> you know, it, it's sad to think that you're if you have a lot of lessons that you're going through a lot of life crises. But <laughs> I think as a musician, that's just what it is. Like so much of what we do is like based on uncertainties, especially like doing a DMA. This is the last degree that you can really do. And, you know, you got to figure some stuff out. And I'm trying. And yeah, Dr. Lavender has been great. (laughs) Alternative universe musical instrument. Cello. Everyone says that. Because it's the best instrument. Come on. (laughs) Yeah. Best range, dynamic range, awesome. You can do so much with it. It's versatile. It's beautiful. Oh, yes. Cello. No, thank you. 100%. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's all you can. I know, the personal compliment, yes. (laughs) Okay, well, you finished the Spitfire questions. Congratulations. Thank you. That was fun. Oh, great. Thank you. Okay, Nikki, can you walk me through your musical origin story? How did you discover classical music? How did you discover that you liked putting notes together and composing things for yourself? And yeah. how did you decide to then become a actual professional composer and walk me through where you are today in your career? Absolutely. So I started really early. I started playing piano when I was about 20 months. What? I know. This is how the legend goes. So <laughs> my mom tells me that I started reading and writing when I was 20 months and I was like perfectly like conversational level like I was like an actual person at like age 20 months so I started my piano lessons when I was 20 months because I went to the kindergarten came back home and I had like a little toy piano and apparently I played um Brahms lullaby on it oh wow I know I peaked early <laughs> um so I started super early and I played piano and I also sang a lot in elementary school I so in Korea there are all these singing competitions for kids Mm -hmm. and I was like super into them I had like competitions back to back I won so many medals my mom just like sent me pictures of that the other day but like I wanted to become a singer when I was young and by the time I was like maybe 11 my voice started change a little bit Uh and then I actually started to have to like practice and I hate practicing sure Sure. okay (laughs) so I was like maybe that's not for me but then even when I was like eight nine like 
around like second grade, I would change things when I am practicing piano. I just wasn't super fulfilled with like playing just whatever was on the page. So I created all these little melodies on the notebook and like played them. And that's like sort of how I started improvising. Sure. And yeah, growing up, I've just never been so good at listening to what people tell me to do. <laughs> I'm still like working on that. So I think that has something to do with like me wanting to write something and create something rather than being listened to like you know yeah. like looking at like other people's music Performing. yeah right yeah so first year middle school I was super bored I didn't love going to school very much I liked friends and hanging out but like just sitting in a classroom was just so painful for me especially for like you know math and science like stuff that I didn't really care for and I really wanted to do music so I one day told my mom that I don't want to go to school anymore and she was like all right don't go what? like literally like that's how it went she was like yeah you don't have to go I was like really and she was like yeah don't go tomorrow and then I didn't wow and so I started homeschooling uh-huh. but there was like a thing that my mom wanted me to achieve she wanted me to finish middle school in a year instead of like three years that I have to go through so I was like okay I'll do that and then she told me if I can also finish high school in a year she would bring me to America to study music oh. and so I finished middle school in high school when I was 14 and that's when I came to America how can wait a second so I'm just sure <laughs> that just sounds like were you how how did you put three years of middle school into one year and then four years of high school into one year? Like, was No, that- actually, I did like three years of middle school and three years of high school. So that's how it is in Korea. So six oh. years of it, all in one year, actually, not two years, one year. Oh, were you just like wake up at like five in the morning and go to bed at like 11 p.m. or something? Like, how did you do? Like, was it insane? Honestly, I did something like that. I woke really? up super early and went to this like study hall type place, studied all day, had lunch, studied studied all day, had dinner, studied more, slept. Oh my god, was it worth it? I mean, I mean, you're here now, I guess. Yeah, I, yeah, that's the thing. But like, I'm very much like still into self-imposed schedule and like orders. Okay. So like, when I put my mind to something, I do it. Yeah. And even when I was like 13, I guess I was like that. I was like, I want to finish high school by next August. Mm-hmm. So I did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, looking back, you know, I sometimes like fantasize about what if I went to middle school? What if I went to high school? I never went to high school at all, you know. Yeah. But I don't know. Like I. I think it would have been fun to go to high school but also i would have such a different life oh, if yeah. i went through school you know i mean yeah so you got to avoid a lot of awkwardness as well so that's <laughs> kind of nice yeah. yeah so i don't know i think it worked out so i, I came to america when i was 14 and i was a piano major at manis when i was 16 so like but then college like a yeah of music it was like a undergrad degree yeah, yeah. okay at manis and i was never that good at piano I could play but I didn't love practicing all these like notes that Chopin wrote I love Chopin but like it gets boring and so many people can do it better than me so what's the point so around when I was like 16, 17 that's when I started transitioning more into composing and so I went to Manus again as a freshman I started over as a composer when I was 18 and ever since then I've been at it yeah 
I mean, I don't know what this is like because I'm not a composer, right? I clearly stayed in the realm of like, please give me music to play <laughs> rather than create right. my own. So that transition from going from piano to composing, you must have already had like some kind of portfolio to present to Manis already, right? Right. So I had written primarily for piano okay, because I was playing piano. So I had a lot of like Chopin-esque, like Ravel-esque pieces okay. that I presented. And also I was already taking lessons with some of the comp faculty members at Manus so they knew okay. what I was about and like how I might be developing if I went into the comp degree so yeah okay so yeah that was kind of my thought so I mean a lot of times even in performance when I suggest things to students that might want to go to college for music you know I say you know what they're really looking for is potential so mm. it seems like that was what your teachers were doing at Manus right they just kind of had a longer view of you since you were there for another degree as well is that kind of a fair yeah yeah. I mean, I don't exactly know what they saw in me, but like, I guess they saw something in yeah, me, I guess you know? It matter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm here. But also, I think pretty much like with whatever I decide to do, I'm very, very passionate yeah. and I really show that I want to do it. Yeah. So I think that might have done something to do with it too. Yeah, I, yeah. Feel, I honestly feel we're very similar in that way because a lot of that is self directed, self driven, um, yeah. kind of motivated. That resonates just with me personally as well I kind of forged my own path a little bit sometimes when needed mm. yeah all right so you then went to Manus for your undergraduate in composition and then mm -hmm. I guess you did a Juilliard audition did you also go there I did go there I went there for two years it was hard <laughs> For a master's degree in composition? Yep. Yeah. Okay, so then after Juilliard, you now are at doing your doctorate at Rice University? Yes. But in between that, actually, I was at UCLA for a little bit, too. Oh, I, I was pursuing my... Yeah, because I don't put it on my website or anything. <laughs> I was doing my PhD there for about a year and a half, and I decided to leave because it just wasn't the right fit for me. Composition. Oh, okay. Yeah, the, some schools offer PhDs rather than DMAs, and it was one of those schools. What's the yeah. Oh, so PhD, it's a little bit more academic heavy, and you might have to do like a second or third language. What? Yeah, UCLA had that um component, okay. and I think there's like a big paper involved. Like it's just like a little bit different. Like the nuance is different, but um. Does it affect yeah. how you get hired after? Okay, so it they're kind of synonymous with one another. If I think what depends more for like getting jobs is who you studied with, what you've been doing while you're pursuing DMA or PhD degree, but I don't necessarily think the title matters that much. Either way, you're a doctor, right? Music doctor. What does that even mean anyway? <laughs> well, yeah, that's what universities are looking for, right? So right. as long as you have exactly. that kind of accreditation, right? I think so, yeah. Okay. So UCLA wasn't quite a fit for you, so then you went to Rice. What was it about Rice's program that was a better fit or a assuming is still a good fit for you. Yeah, so after UCLA, I took about a year off from school. And before that, since like 16, I was just in music school after music school. And it was just like, I think I was really burned out and jaded from the system. And also just like being around like student musicians all the time, you know, it gets really tiring. Oh, yeah. So I traveled a ton for a year. I lived in Berlin for three months, oh. which was super fun. I was just like, you know what? When else can I do this? Yeah. And it's true. If I didn't do it then, I don't 
don't think I would have done it any other time. Yeah. So packed up two bags, went there, went to Oktoberfest, went to Spain a few times. It was super fun. Yeah, it sounds cool. Yeah, and I traveled to like Russia, Japan. I lived with my parents for a little bit in Korea, which was very nice. I hadn't done that since I was like 14. Right. So yeah, so that was great. And then I was applying to a bunch of programs in America to come back. And also I applied to some places in Europe. So it was between Rice and RCM in London. Mm -hmm. Royal College. College, sorry, excuse me. Yes. It's like, you know, they're very confusing because we we don't live there. We don't know. (laughs) But, you know, like I had a Skype interview with the comp department people here. And something that I noticed right away was everyone was just so welcoming and inviting. Mm -hmm. Like Rice just has that energy that's very different from other music schools that I've experienced, at least for my personal experience. And I could right away tell that they're interested and, you know, like invested in what I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. And they were giving me options and like ways to possibly support me in achieving what I want to achieve in like the near future. And that was very different for me. Like I didn't really have that in previous schools that I had gone to. And I also really liked how Rice has a lot of good musicians. Mm -hmm. Like Rice has one of the best orchestra programs, you know, and the dissertation that composers get to write as a DMA candidate is an orchestra piece. Mm -hmm. And that's honestly an honor, Mm -hmm. like being performed by the Shepard Orchestra. So once I got accepted, it wasn't too much of like a thought process needed. I came here, but I didn't know where Houston was until I arrived here. I was like, this is Texas. I'm a little bit like suspicious about that but I love Houston like this is my fourth year love it Mm -hmm. weather's great no snow here (laughs) hey don't rub it (laughs) on my face (laughs) although we had a tornado warning yesterday and that was a little spooky but and you do get a lot of hurricanes so yes well I've been lucky That's true. That's true. Yeah. But I've been lucky with um hurricanes. I haven't had a single hurricane since I came here. Yeah, you probably missed Harvey then, right? Yes. Yeah. Were you here for Harvey? I had also just moved away. I had just moved to Minneapolis oh, wow. like a month before. Yeah. Oh, wow. But I okay. obviously know a lot of people who did go through that. Yes. Anyway. Okay. So now you're here and you are now doing a, a lot of amazing things and with a lot of different groups. But of course, I have to be biased and talk about Connecticut a bit. So you are now the composer in residence for Kinetic. How did that happen? It happened sort of like naturally. I got connected with Natalie through Mary Grace because Mary Grace had been playing with the Kinetic Ensemble previous seasons. And Natalie had this idea of recording a debut album and it already had two pieces lined up that were about nature. And she thought that it would be really fun for me to also write a piece so that it can be on the album. So that became the pipe piece that I wrote and that was um premiered in October. And this violin concerto idea was pitched by Mary Grace to Natalie and she was like super interested. So that became a part of uh, this season's program. And Sam Park, a violinist in the Kinetic Ensemble, he's also curating... Right. He's curating a concert in Asia Society and it's about music from Paris and Korea, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I love French music and also I'm very much influenced by French composers and 
of course, I'm Korean. So he thought that it would be very, uh, yeah, <laughs> he, he thought that like, yeah, we should play Nikki's piece. And so it became sort of like a three performance schedule of this year's season. So I became the composer in residence and it's been super fun. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything that Kinetic has influenced you as a composer? Absolutely. So when I was working on the pipe piece, I watched so many of the videos that you guys have on YouTube and like recordings and whatnot. And I really just love this like organic energy that you guys have. Without the conductor, you know, you all have to communicate. You have to look at each other. And it's like the music is more alive than it would be with a conductor. And so... Sorry, conductors. Yeah. yeah sorry. But um, also, I was really impressed with how everyone is just like so engaged in the performance. Mm. And so I was like, okay, I can write something hard. <laughs> No, just kidding. <laughs> no, I was like, okay, like they can do this. They'll put in the time. So sometimes, you know, composers are restricted by how many rehearsals we're going to get or how dedicated the performers are or when the performance is even, yeah. you know, we have to think about these things and like think about the difficulty of the piece. But I knew with Kinetic, I could write something that I wanted to write yeah. and it was going to come alive even better than I expected. So I got, yeah, I mean, <laughs> It was awesome. Okay. Yeah. It was hard. I know, but you did it. That's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> I knew I could push it. And so I think this piece was super liberating to write because I could really express myself in the way that I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Rather than like thinking about like, oh yeah, like that violinist might not practice much. You know, like I didn't even think about that. Mm-hmm. So the involvement of every single player, I think that's so awesome about Kinetic. And having heard that performance, shaping the violin concerto was really easy. Mm-hmm. Like, I knew how the ensemble worked, and also I saw how you guys rehearsed, Mm -hmm. which I thought was super interesting. Everyone said something. Mm -hmm. It's not just like, you know, the violinist says something, and then everyone obeys. Right. And I really liked that sort of, like, ping-pong vibe that you guys had, and, like, sometimes, like, you didn't agree, and I loved that, you know? (laughs) And then, like, you guys would turn to me, and, like, what do you think? I'm like, oh, Uh, don't don't involve me. Oh, 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 no. What, What <laughs> exactly. But I thought that was so fun. So like shaping the violin concerto, I made it so that you guys can have conversations. Okay. And there are more ways to play it than just one. And I'm super excited to see how you guys interpret this because I mean, I have one way of hearing it, but I think I'm going to be pleasantly surprised. I'm super excited. Yeah, I am too. And Mary Grace is a great leader. So it will be, yes. yeah, she'll be able to convey all your intentions i'm sure to us are there any other upcoming projects premieres commissions in 2023 that you wanted to share with us yeah so i have a couple so right now i'm working on a guitar solo piece for Gigi. she's an awesome guitarist i am writing this piece for tmta texas music teachers association and it's going to be featured in their convention in june in waco yes Mm -hmm. So that's exciting. And then I have another commission from the Bergamo Quartet. It's a all-female quartet based in New York, and I'm writing for them. And I know them personally. I know the cellist personally. And um, I think it's going to be super fun to like work with them very closely. And so that's happening. And I have a big commission that I am pressured and stressed, but also super excited about. I am working on a 20-minute long orchestra piece for the Annapolis Symphony, and that's going to be premiered in April of 
next year. So April of 2024, right?、Okay. That's like a bigger piece. It's a long orchestra piece. I've never written an orchestra piece that long.、Uh-huh. So, is there a, a sketch of story or anything? I- Programmatic element to it, or yeah, I mean, as you've experienced my music a little bit, it's always like a little bit storytelling.、Yeah. So the piece is based on and inspired by the things that I've learned and experienced through composing Earth Cohort. So this is a cohort group through Gabriela Lena Frank Creative Academy of Music. I've been a part of that the JLF Cam family for several years now, and Gabriela Lena Frank's handpicked ten composers, I would say, like. Composers together to read, watch all these different things about the climate crisis, and also we had a scientist come in and lecture and like share information with us for like two years. It's a two-year program. And so we would meet every month for two years, and being a part of that group really gave me a new way of looking at the world and new way of looking at what I do as a person. And so that's going to be the inspiration for the piece. But the thing I'm focusing on is color. So air pollution is very bad in Korea because of all the factories around the coast in China,、right. and so even though We don't see the blue sky in Korea every day. As an adult, I would paint the sky blue because that's what's in my imagination and that's what I'm used to seeing. But apparently, kids in kindergarten these days they paint the sky gray because that's what they see growing up. Yeah. And I thought that was really heartbreaking,、mm-hmm. you know. And also, like, I thought it was fascinating that, like, even though I don't see the blue sky in Korea very much, I still see it as blue. Yeah. And so I'm sort of gonna play with the idea of color and also imagination versus reality,、mm-hmm. and how we can bring that imagination back to the reality.、Mm-hmm. And sort of like yeah, so I'm like brainstorming a ton with just ideas.、Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, this all sounds really intriguing. I can't wait to hear the final product whenever that ends up being. <laughs> oh my god, same. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know if your premiere with them is going to be recorded, or if you're going to have a live recording, or even a studio recording of that piece? Yeah, so this commission is sort of like a dream come true commission for a composer. So I'm actually getting a workshop of the piece in October, so that I can sort of like hear the first draft and make any sort of edits or adjustments that I want to make. Which is like it's unheard of, yeah, you know? Say, yeah. Yeah. Usually you go to the first rehearsal and you're like, oh my god, I messed up everything, and then you're like.、Mm. I'm stuck with this, you know.、Uh-huh. But then I'm gonna like have a chance to like work with the performers personally and change things at the spot, try things out. So that's happening. And when it's being performed in April, I think it's gonna be recorded. And they are also thinking about recording it for the digital performance of like their archive. And yeah, and I think they might be like touring with the piece too.、Oh, so、awesome. I'm super、Holy、excited. Yeah. yeah, I know. Like, thank you. I, I yeah, I feel so. Lucky and fortunate to have this opportunity. Well, clearly, you know. I mean, we were joking earlier about how your early teachers at Manus somehow saw something in you, but clearly, that's continuing on in your career. So, yeah. Oh, that's that's nice. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, are you ready to take a break? Yeah, sure. Okay, we'll be right back. Friends, 
Are you enjoying this episode and are excited for more content to come? Consider becoming part of the Hayden Behind the Music Stand family on Patreon. Any contribution level helps keep the podcast alive. That's at patreon.com slash Hayden Music Stand. Other ways to support are to recommend episodes to friends and family and to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It's quick, easy, and a free way to spread the word about my fantastic guests and all the incredible accomplishments they achieve in the music world. Also, feel free to reach out to us through social media at Hayden Music Stand and by email Stand at gmail.com. Thanks and enjoy the episode. Welcome back from the break. So I have to confess, I don't know much about K-pop. And I only know about some certain cultural revolutions that have happened because of it, like kind of the history about it a little bit. But can you guide me through the realm of K-pop and introduce me to everything I need to know about it? Sure. I mean, I know it from like a very personal side of view, right? Uh So I grew up listening to K-pop primarily. Mm. Yeah. So I mentioned a little bit earlier that I wanted to become a singer when I grew up, right? So I really wanted to be a K-pop singer. Oh, Because okay. that was like what I saw and I thought that was like the most wonderful thing ever. Uh-huh. So my first love of K-pop was this group called SES. And SES was um, this girl trio. And they sort of like showed up as like fairies. Like three fairies singing all about like love and like, you know. Okay, when like, you said fairies though, for me, whatever, for whatever reason, the Powerpuff Girls came to mind. <laughs> <laughs> but not like that. These are more like fairies that you might see in the nature. Like oh, mysterious, nymphs. like long dresses, okay. like princessy. Okay. Yeah. I was super into SES and that was when I was eight, I want to say. Mm. And my sister and I would wear my mom's long pajamas and hold these like hairbrushes yeah. and like sang in front of my parents. And so I was dead serious on becoming a fairy when I was eight I was like I'm gonna be SES yeah and then I heard a lot of G.O.D. G.O.D. kind of became like one of the national bands that we all listen to and like we all know songs of and they were heavily influenced by like gospel and like R&B culture Mm -hmm. so like early K-pop I would say was influenced a lot by music of America like the US but recently I would say what's cool to see in k-pop is like they've had this like revelation and like they've really tried to like find their own voice mm-hmm. as like what is k-pop and also i think the big part of it is the performance side of it they're not just like standing there singing but like there's like a heavy choreography mm-hmm. involved and also like outfits to their concept and so you know if you really think about it it's almost like gizam kunst work like total work of art mm-hmm like a Wagner style of like thinking about what art can be it's not just singing if you think about it and like these music videos too are just so highly produced and like it's like such high qualities and they all have like storylines and also like I was really interested to learn this each group sometimes has like an agenda of like 5-10 years of like an artistic plan so they have like these storytelling thing that like unfolds in time yeah oh wait so you're saying that because I kind of know a 
what I understand is if you sign up to be a K-pop star in, a, in mm-hmm. one of these bands, you kind of have to sacrifice some of these things. You have to sacrifice, you can't date anybody or your life is essentially kind of with this group. So are you saying that there's a narrative that the music producers set for them? Like that they're going to go through these like good and bad times just like as a narrative for their story as a, like, as a person? That's an interesting question. So I think the problem with K-pop is how it's lacking of the personal life of these artists. Yeah. So what producers are thinking are more about this album is going to talk about this and then this will evolve and go that way. But then it doesn't really involve their personal growth. Okay. And that's, I think, what's sad about K-pop because these K-pop singers, they are so young. There's this new band that I'm super, super into. Everyone check out New Jeans. Their songs are so good and they're excellent, excellent performers. But I think the youngest member is like maybe 15. Wow, yeah. That's like Aaron Carter back in the day, almost. Like in the 90s. Right. And their image is like so used up by the time they're like 25, 26 Mm -hmm. that like, what do they do afterwards, right? Mm -hmm. So that's... That's sort of like the problematic side of K-pop. But I think if we just look at like K-pop as like an artistic side of view, it involves so much planning, Mm -hmm. so much curating. It's very cool to like see what these different companies and like producers have in mind of like this sort of trajectory of like the next five years, next 10 years. Mm. You know, even I would say like 10 years ago, people didn't really care so much about K-pop elsewhere. Right. I I would agree. Yeah, I feel like it was kind of like... Like, oh, that's what's going on in Korea only. But now it's like a huge, you know, I think there's even, I'm sorry, I don't know all the band names, but I saw on New Year's Eve, there was like a K-pop group singing at Times Square, you know, it's even highlighted at that, you know, and I was like, oh, wow, like it's at this point that K-pop has really infiltrated so much of the music industry. Yeah. And I think it's so cool because still the songs are sung in Korean and somehow, yeah, yeah, half Korean, but somehow it's like working. 10 years ago-ish, I would still listen to K-pop, but I wouldn't really talk about that with my friends. Mm. It was sort of like my side thing. Mm. But then somehow, I think around the pandemic, it sort of like blew up with like all these different Korean shows that were on Netflix. And people started like talking about my culture and like sort of like addiction. And I thought that was so cool. It's like, oh, people get it now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I didn't realize that you feel, or because for me, again, I'm just like, I'm still kind of blind. <laughs> but that I didn't realize that you feel like there was a bit of a phenomenon that happened during the pandemic with all this. So you really think that Korean dramas, which I know that's been around forever, right? That like Korean dramas drove the K-pop scene a bit? I think it was both. Like people are warmed up already with like really popular groups like BTS. Right. They were like, okay, like maybe this is something that I can entertain with. And then like this thing with Squid Game, I was so surprised that like that just blew up. I mean, it was a great show. I love that that show yeah. but a show in a foreign language to be that popular and that watched i thought that was just so interesting mm-hmm. how it unfolded yeah did you watch squid game i didn't so this is where i'm like oh maybe that's why <laughs> i didn't get into it. You I, watch I, it i know everyone's told me to watch it i know i it's on the list it's just i just kind of need to like prepare myself because yeah. 
a little bit kind of nuts. Yeah, it's a little violent, but it's a really good show, and also like acting is excellent. Mm-hmm. So I highly recommend it. And like you know, even movies like Parasite right. and Minari, those movies were watched worldwide, yeah. and so it's been really interesting to see Korean culture and Korean pop emerge. And like I don't know, like people enjoy these things, and so that I think gave me a little bit of a confidence in my own music too. Because like being a Korean composer in America, I was always like, I'm doing this, but like, am I doing this right? Like, are people gonna care? You know, like things like that. But then I was like, it doesn't matter if English is not my first language. If I'm writing this Western medium with my understanding of it as a Korean composer, maybe that's all okay. You know. Mm-hmm. So like listening to K-pop and also like seeing how it evolved, it's been like sort of like the same path for me to understanding what my music can be like. Mm-hmm. Not that like I'm ever gonna be like BTS. I'm not gonna be like that, you know. But still, well, never say never. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna be like dancing and stuff. No, so no, no. I get that. not that popular. No. <laughs> So I kind of want to circle back to a point that you made early on in this conversation about the identity of K-pop and how the industry is trying to identify specifically what makes K-pop K-pop. And as you said earlier, like there's a lot of influences from early 90s, 2000s boy bands in America and maybe a little bit of R&B and that kind of thing. But do you feel like throughout your consumption of K-pop, like what makes it specifically K-pop? I think nowadays the production level Level is just another okay. world. It's so nicely produced. Also, what's interesting about music that's being produced right now is that it's not always written by Korean composers. It's sometimes written by composers from Europe. Some American producers come in and like compose some of these songs too. And the influences don't just come from like the Hollywood and like the American pop songs, but it comes from like everywhere. There's this song called "Feel My Rhythm" by Red Velvet. That was released i want to say last year it actually features box air on g okay yeah and that's like the motivic idea for the whole song uh-huh. and then also there's another song called dali van picasso by benzino and that samples this track from chet baker's tune Mm-hmm. And so, like, I think they're grabbing sort of like ideas and influences from all different genres, and then making their own version of it. And I think that's what's like really interesting because, like, even in like American pop songs, like you still sort of like see songs that are very, very similar to one another, you know? Yeah. But like, I think they're trying to break the formula, and that's what's making it more K-pop. I see. Interesting. Okay, so if you were to make a mixtape for me or something like that. I don't oh, know. Yeah. I don't know what you have to say necessarily song titles, but just maybe your top bands that you would recommend to like a newbie like me or maybe something alternative that you have found interesting to you. What would they be? So I'll definitely check out New Jeans, like I mentioned. Yeah. They're a super new group. They have so far six songs out. They're all really, really awesome and they're all very different. It's these five super young girls and they're just killer performers. So I would recommend them. Red Velvet is also a really awesome group five girls as well nct127 is my favorite of course i went to their concert right. they're great performers and what's cool about nct127 is that they really break what is considered as like k-pop so their songs tend to be very very experimental they mix a lot of genres together in one song mm. 
and their dance moves are like super super in-depth and very very like involved so if you watch for example their music video for kick it you'll definitely be in- super impressed mm-hmm. that song features sort of like this image of bruce lee actually oh, okay so like that's like also like a mixture of many different cultures you mm-hmm. know and that song is heavily influenced by hip-hop mm-hmm. and electronic music so that sound world is also very cool twice i always really liked their songs but now they're at the end of their career like they started almost like 10 years ago i want to say yeah and so that's the thing like the groups don't last that long because once their image is exhausted there are new groups coming out or new people coming out that people want something fresh something different so by the time these singers are maybe like 30 they break up the group or they sort of like find their own projects to pursue so i think twice is sort of at the end of their career but yeah their songs are also very very cool are there any like justin timberlakes or beyonce's that broke out of k-pop that have made solo careers out of it oh yeah absolutely there are some yeah but then like they're sort of categorized in a different genre So like K-pop that we're looking at is the idol culture. Idol culture is usually in this like a group, like a band. Mm -hmm. And they're usually very young and they involve the heavy dancing, heavy performing. And the look has to be completely perfect. Mm -hmm. And like they have this like very tailored way of presenting themselves. Mm -hmm. But then there is this girl called Hana. She used to be in two bands actually. She used to be a member of Wonder Girls. They were very popular in like the 2000s thousand teens yeah and then she was also in this band called four minute and so now she does her solo things and she's doing pretty well but her stuff is way more avant-garde let's say than like what these groups are doing so less commercial maybe is that a way of saying it like a lot more experimental okay yeah and like she's trying many different ways of like presenting her identity i think Mm -hmm. yeah so it's very different Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's almost like thinking about it as like being a chamber musician versus like a solo musician. Mm-hmm. When you're a chamber musician, you have to blend. You have to play something that we, you all want to play. Mm-hmm. And you have this like polished image as a chamber group that you want to present. But when you're a soloist, you're a little bit more liberated from like, even from like what you play, what you wear, how you talk on the stage. So like that's sort of like the difference between like this idol groups and then like the people who break out of the group culture and then become their solo career people right yeah right 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 that's a good comparison yeah how has k-pop influenced your composition so okay so there are a few pieces that i've borrowed some musical materials directly from k-pop like some melodies or just like little tunes or something but i think because i listen to so much k-pop my music just tends to have influences from it even if it might not be super visible so for example i was talking to a teacher about this a few years ago but my music tends to be very eventful every moment there's like something going on i don't really write music that's very still and that's a characteristic of Mm k-pop 
it's just like very eventful like there's like something going on always like new texture change new lyrics like there's like something new always and my musical attention span i must say is not the greatest i want something that's moving very fast so i think that's one of the things that i might have gathered from listening to k-pop i think another thing is that k-pop tends to be pretty melodic but not as melodic as the songs that you might hear on the radio in america or like europe Mm -hmm. it tends to be like more pattern oriented i think Mm -hmm. and there are like little hooks that you hear always and my music tends to grow from intervallic components Mm -hmm. or like a pocket of like a set of notes rather than like a melodic line Mm -hmm. so i think that's also something that's kind of similar to k-pop and my music okay so just to make sure that everyone knows the terminology so Mm -hmm. intervallic meaning the relationship between one note to the other so a distance right right so like so i might build something from like a major third up and then like minor third down like you know making a little pattern like that and then repeating it or like putting it in different parts and building textures around it yeah Mm -hmm. and then when you said the word that came to mind was tone clusters is that kind of what you mean when you're saying a collection of notes i guess so yeah i guess you can call it that or like an order of notes sure yeah i just wanted to clarify just in case some people don't know the terminology because i mean from musician to composer you know it's like we could easily talk about that stuff yeah right have you ever considered writing k-pop music no i wish i could but right now k-pop writing is so much about how good you are on the computer it's very much like recording engineering and electronic music like everything is pretty much like done on the computer Mm -hmm. so like you would have to be very good at logic ableton softwares like that and unfortunately that's not my strength i really want to like sit down one summer and like learn and get better at electronic music but i just haven't had the time to yeah Yeah. i mean maybe it's just not exactly the direction you want to go musically as well right of course yeah but it would be really fun i think just like to do it like as a passion project yeah is there anything i'm forgetting to ask about anything relating to k-pop i don't think so i think it'd be super fun if i can make like a playlist for everyone oh yeah and yeah and then i can share it with you and you can maybe like put it on the link or absolutely that would be great actually because i would not know what where to start so (laughs) okay cool yeah well thank you for sharing your knowledge and your love for k-pop yeah i think it's more love than knowledge but (laughs) i i try very hard to keep updated i listen to what's new and know what's popular i try to watch as many music videos as possible but there are just so many yeah that's i think that's where for me i kind of get overwhelmed because i'm just like oh my god there's so much you know and yes but so thank you be my guide for me okay absolutely yeah anytime Can I ask you two final questions? Yeah, sure. What is one piece of advice you would tell your younger self about entering and pursuing a music career? Wow. Let me think about that. That's big. You know, one thing that I would say to my younger self and also myself right now is to be patient. I think that's the number one thing that we forget often as musicians you know we just feel this constant anxiety of like what's gonna happen next am i gonna be okay but looking back it always turned out to be okay Mm -hmm. and even the situations that i didn't think were okay were for the best Mm -hmm. so i would say be patient be optimistic trust yourself it'll be okay and then the second advice you know honestly drink more water (laughs) (laughs) yeah 
I think that's super important. In my 20s, I never drank water. Uh-huh. It was coffee time, then beer time. Sh- yeah. Right. And, it's like the on-off switch there. <laughs> yeah. Like around like 5.30, I'm like, I think it's beer time now, you know? <laughs> and I just never drank water. And that's not good. I try really hard to drink more water these days. And I think it is good for me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so drink more water. Everyone drink more water. (laughs) Yeah, you can't go wrong with water. Hydrate to stay great. So I just am curious, just really quickly. Mm -hmm. Do you believe that everything happens for a reason? I sort of think that, yeah. I'm not like the most spiritual person or I'm also not religious at all. But I feel like there is a reason why certain things happen. And even if they weren't the best for you at the time, there's always something that you can learn from it. Mm -hmm. And if you just take that chance to learn something from it and also accept that that was supposed to happen, I think it's just better for you to think that way so that you can move on and become a better person. Sure. But like, I really just hate having this like feeling of like regret because, you know, once you have regrets, it's very hard for you to move on. You like latch onto it and you think about it. And that's honestly like so much energy and time wasted. Of course, it's good to like ponder around on things like that but i think at a certain point you just have to let it go and so for me to just be like you know even the really difficult things it happened for a reason and i am here being the way i am today because of it then you know it's great yeah yeah thank you i just was curious since you were talking about being patient and just to tie that up my second question how has the pandemic changed your career This is an interesting question. I think it was good for me. I almost feel hesitant to say it because it was hard and it was a hard time for all of us. But as a composer, I never realized that I needed the time for myself ever you know I was just on the go all the time I felt like I had to compare myself to other people because you saw it all the time you know and I was writing so many pieces at the same time and I just didn't even know what was going on most of the time but the pandemic gave me the time to just like sit and breathe and really look at what I'm writing and I suddenly had more time to like do house chores (laughs) I planned (laughs) yeah And so I was like, you know what? I don't have to feel this like constant anxiety. And so I started looking more inward about writing rather than writing more superficially to just make deadlines. Mm -hmm. So it was very good for me. And also during the pandemic, I got to work with so many of my friends virtually. People who were away but were interested in like putting up a solo recital online or, you know, just like work with me. I wrote so many solo pieces and And if it weren't for the pandemic, I don't think I would have done that. We wouldn't have had the chance to just like call each other on Zoom and talk about cello harmonics, for example. (laughs) So that was good. I wrote a lot of solo pieces and I also wrote an orchestra piece and I worked with Anna Klein, a composer that I admire and respect so, so much virtually throughout the whole process. So that was also awesome. So I think it's worked out for me. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's great. 
I have another question I would like to ask, but I realize that you're sitting in front of me, a Korean-born female composer, and I was curious about your perspective on the music field and if you felt any backlash for being either female or Asian when it came to trying to crack into the scene of a pretty male-dominated field. Yeah, actually, thanks so much for this question. So this has been something that I've talked to a lot with my female composer colleagues lately and also non-female composers too. I often talk about how the environment at Juilliard was not a welcoming one. It was maybe like 30-40 composers in a year and there were only three female composers in the room. So anytime one of the girls talked, everyone would just like turn and look at us because it was so easy that the girl was talking, right? And even at any sort of like music festivals, I was the odd one. Especially, you know, when I started my undergrad as a composer and going through Juilliard, I didn't see many female composers who looked like me who were pursuing it. So even during Juilliard, even a little after Juilliard too, I wasn't sure if I could actually be a composer. I didn't know what it meant for me. Because everyone I saw who was doing it and famous and making it, they were all men. They're all mostly white men. And so I think I had just like this block in my head that like, I'm doing this, but I'm never going to make it because I'm not them. And so what changed a lot for me was when I met Gabrielle Lena Frank. I met Gabrielle Lena Frank at Aspen Music Festival. She was a guest there. She had her orchestra piece performed. And so she was generous enough to give us a seminar on her music. And when I saw her, I was like, wait, there are people like me who are pursuing it and who are professional. And the moment I met her, I felt this really big connection to her and her music. So I reached out to her and thanked her for the seminar and the performance and everything. And so that sort of led me to becoming a part of her creative academy. She has her own academy where she invites a handful of composers to come to her house and workshop music and also talk about life and career. It just becomes like this very like welcoming environment safe environment where you can be yourself and until that moment I really cannot think of a single time I felt that I could be myself and be the composer I wanted to be wow yeah yeah and so that was a life-changing moment for me really Mm -hmm. And ever since then, Gabby's sort of like been my mentor. Anytime I have a problem or like, you know, because we feel pressured all the time as musicians, young musicians who are trying to like do this thing. Make it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So she's always so generous with her time and, you know, advice. And I see her pretty frequently over Zoom. And like, you know, we talk about different things. And also, I've been so lucky to be a part of her cohort called Compose. Earth. This group talks about climate crisis. It's like a two-year-long residency that meets every month over Zoom. And first year, you get assignments on books and documentaries to watch and read, and we have conversations about it. But the second year, we get this awesome scientist to come in to our Zoom meetings and then like answer and like lecture on anything that we might be curious on. And that's going to lead to a commission, and I get to write a piece about the things that I've learned, things that I've experienced and things like that. And so I think meeting Gabby sort of like made me realize
realize that being a composer isn't just about being a composer. It's not just about writing music, but it's about really like addressing my beliefs and expressing who I am as a person. You know, music is almost like a secondary thing. If I don't have a message, if I don't have like a clear idea about what I am about right now, and if I can't be honest about that, none of this matters. Right. But as a Korean composer, as a female composer today, I actually carry more weight than I thought I did because I'm not just doing it for myself. I mean, of course, I'm doing it for myself, but... I also think about the younger composers who might be like me, who are looking for people in the world who are doing it and thinking, can I do this? And I want to tell them, like, you can do this. You just have to have the passion and love for it and be willing to be vulnerable and honest. And so I think it's super important for me to think about what it means to be a Korean female composer pretty much every day. Yeah, mm-hmm. but um, yeah. Now I have a studio of four female composers. Oh wow, great! Yeah. Oh my god. And it's been just like so fun working with them, and they're all very, very different, and they're doing really well to their high school's composers. But you know, I'm just like so happy to see them grow, and also like for me to like work with them. I get inspired to be a better composer and better person Mm -hmm. so that I can be a role model for them, you know? So, yeah. Thank you for that self-reflection and, as you say, vulnerability and transparency about it. Because for me, there's plenty of people to aspire to as a female Asian cellist, right? You know? Right. So I never had that kind of block. I, I think that it's really inspiring to hear about that journey that for you, that identity sort of almost crisis in a certain way of like either to conform with a particular set regimented persona of what a composer is or actually like redefining that and shifting the narrative of like what classical music and composers look like are like and be more representative of I mean I think that's like sorry I'm getting all on my high horse now but like I feel like that's all like what music is about anyway is just spreading that expression of multicultural and connecting of humanity and all that stuff right actually like this reminds me i mean i used to get comments like this on my music i would have like master classes or you know like guest lectures or lessons in my undergrad times and you know that was already like over 10 years ago and one very famous composer listened to my music and he told me that my music was too feminine Uh uh-oh no 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 like no i mean i think i was in like my sophomore year of college or something like that when I heard that, I didn't even know what that meant. Well, exactly. No, that's right, though. Like, what? Yeah. What are you implying about femininity? That is like Because, like, I walked into the room, and I'm a girl. Uh-huh. You listen to my music, and you say it's too feminine. Mm-hmm. If I showed up as a man, would he have said that? No. Right. Absolutely not. Right. And then you know what his um solution was? I think you should listen to more Yana check. <laughs> I'm still, like, very much puzzled by this idea. I mean, I listened to Marianacek afterwards, and I love Janacek, but, like, yeah. is that what, like, the anti-feminine, like, sound is? Like, yeah. to him? Like, what What does that mean? No, it, no that's... Uh, I'm sorry. I call... I put a flag on the play on that comment. That yeah. I, Ethel Smythe, do you know? Uh-huh. She was known to receive that comment about her music also. And I'm just like, what does this mean? That doesn't make any sense to me. And the world changed a little bit now that I think 
most people know not to say that. Yeah. But then but the, people might still think that. <laughs> that's right, right? Well, yeah. And so I think that that's where I don't understand why people feel the need to assign gender to music. Yes. Especially in this day and age where we're now being even more gender fluid and that's amazing mm. and welcomed. Like, I just don't. But I mean, yeah, we're getting into it. Like, yeah, I know. <laughs> and then also, actually, where you're living right now, Minnesota. I had a piece at the Minnesota Orchestra, right? Right. And this piece is called Bird Up and it's about New York. It's like almost like Bernstein, Gershwin-esque, very American sounding orchestra piece. I love American music. Uh-huh. I um, had the performance. It went well, you know, afterwards, this audience member comes up to me in the lobby and he tells me that it sounded very Oriental. Oh, no. And I'm just like, is that what it sounded like? Or is that what you're looking at? Yeah. You know? And so, like, comments like that, honestly, like, it makes me laugh because Cause cause that's not what it is. Right. Well, because it's like you're clearly distracted by something else that's not the content right. of your music. Yeah. And then, I mean, I also have, like, a complete opposite comment that I've gotten years ago. I was at a music festival. I had a master class and I showed my chamber piece to this famous composer and he goes why don't you write for korean instruments uh, what <laughs> like korean yeah <laughs> oh my god i love that reaction he was like why aren't you writing for korean instruments like why aren't you writing korean music and i was like uh like i love western classical music and that's why i came to america to learn it and that's what i'm trying to pursue and he was like yeah but you're korean why aren't you writing for the kayagum i'm like how do I answer that question, you know? Why not? Because I choose to write for this chamber ensemble. Yeah, and like in that festival, my assignment was to write for a chamber ensemble. And so he was just like, why aren't you writing for Hegum and Kayagum? I'm like, I don't know. Because I don't like, want to. <laughs> yeah, because I, I don't get to. And like, yeah. what is this question? Are there, like, are there musicians around me that can play those instruments? Like- right, and... <laughs> So I was like really like thrown off by that question. He just like went on and on and on about like how he did one thing with this like traditional orchestra of like his hometown and whatever. And I was like, good for you, man. Yeah. Like, I guess you wanted to talk about that. But like, what about what is this? You yeah, know, that's, uh... yeah, we got some interesting comments as um composers, I must say. Wow, that makes me. <laughs> That fires me up a bit, actually. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. But when you're in that position, and like, I mean, at this point, I don't think people would really say things like that to me. And also, I don't sign up for master classes, right? Right, right. Like, you're, you're beyond that point, yeah. Yeah, if anything, I might teach a master class, right. but I don't want to do master classes. Right. That's like public humiliation. Come on, like, I don't do that. <laughs> But it really is like that, no, you know? I, well, I told, I have, yeah, I feel very similarly about masterclasses. Yeah. Like, there's just like a room full of people who are just like watching, and there's this master who's supposed to know everything and who supposedly says everything correct, and then you're just like there to be taken apart. Yeah. <laughs> and especially when it's like your music, when you're not just playing, but your music. Right. And that person's just like, you know, what do you mean by this F sharp? What am I supposed to say to you? It's an F sharp. And he's like, I really think that that's not right. Then everyone, like one in the audience goes like, mm. right. <laughs> I'm like, what is happening to me? 
Oh my god, I just, I think it's such a funny culture masterclass. Oh, I know. I totally understand the benefit to a masterclass because it allows more people to learn from this particular person. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I kind of wish and wonder in the future if there's going to be some kind of revolution when it comes to something evolving from the masterclass because I think it's a little bit outdated. It is outdated. And also, you know, composer masterclasses, those are so funny to watch, but because literally we just have like a computer screen projected on the wall and like we're listening to MIDI all together, <laughs> room full of people and you're just like, what's going on? Right. It's all just so abstract anyway. Right. And I think composition lessons tend to be very personal, very vulnerable, but to do it in front of like a bunch of people, that's terrible. Yeah. yeah. Public humiliation. Seriously, yeah. that's what it is. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, so anyway. some interesting comments I've gotten from many lessons, many master classes, yeah. performances. Yeah, it, it doesn't end, but it's that's just, the part of it. No, totally. And and I mean, we let the conversation roll a bit, but you know, I, I do think it's fascinating to hear those kinds of comments and hear what these famous composers, for instance, in your situation or mine and famous performers or whatever, what they really mean to say or like if that's yeah. it's like, oh, it's actually showing more of their fallacies as like a human or like they haven't identified something in them to you know say really you're saying that to me like that's true maybe like what we should do is to like hold that person's hand and be like do you have a therapist (laughs) what's wrong come on seriously like i'm just so like done with going through these sort of like master classes or like you know lessons and then coming home and like thinking about what they really meant i want to know what they meant right there yeah i'm not gonna like spend the years thinking about like but why did he say my music was so feminine because yeah. it's not it's gar- helpful for it's me garbage. yeah yeah it's just garbage yeah, yeah, but I spent so many years thinking those things because I thought that that was the problem I had. Right. I thought that if I solved that, I could go to this school. Right. If I solved that, I could go to this festival, study with this person. Right. But it's really not that. I think the system is very much false. And like you said, I think all of this is super outdated. Mm-hmm. Music school culture, it's toxic. Like, let's be real. Yeah. It's not a healthy environment for people to grow. Mm-hmm. It's really competitive. It's super stressful. And, you know, I mean, this is a super sad story. And I've talked to several people about it. But first year Juilliard was especially difficult for me because I felt like, well, I was the only girl in my year as composers. And so, you know, the boys sort of like quickly became friends. But like, yeah, but I didn't really like have a friend in my first semester. And that's very um unusual for me because as you know, You're you know, I'm a social person yeah. and like I love to hang. Yeah. yeah, so I think it was maybe like the second month or something at Juilliard, I was at school for over 10 hours straight. Like we would have classes, lessons, and I was always just so busy practicing ear training for hours and hours. Also, like what did that do to me? Nothing, just trauma. And... Um, <laughs> And I was, like, composing so much. And so I was, like, at school from, like, 9 a.m. to, like, 10, 11 p.m. So I was on the subway up to Harlem to go home. And I realized that the only time I spoke that day was to sing a dominant seventh chord and then resolve it correctly in the ear training class. Oh. I know. And that made me so sad. I was like, what is this life, you know? Mm. 
I get no human interaction. I'm just like drilling through these ear training exercises. And who am I? And so like, I remember crying the whole subway ride through home. Oh, I'm sorry. But there were just so many days like that at Juilliard. But you know, what's the point? We're just all trying to learn music. And like, why do we have to involve tear and trauma? Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now we're going into like a darker subject, but really, like, I I wonder if this really is like the best way to learn. I mean, that's the thing. I did learn your training. I was pretty good at it by the end of Juilliard. And I bet you I can still solvage pretty well, mm-hmm. even now. But okay. Yeah, right. Who's going to ask me to like solvage? I'm not going to be stopped on the street and be like, solvage now. You <laughs> know, you I'll give you a job. <laughs> yeah, I can totally do that. Yeah. No problem. But, you know, like that's such a niche skill. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot to tackle in <laughs> I know, I know. Maybe for a future episode, we can just like, you know, tear down the music scholastic structure and see, like, re-examine everything. (laughs) I would love that. Maybe like get two more people and just like, you know, strip it down. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's like, we need a reformation. (laughs) We can be like Lutherans about it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, so funny. That would be funny. Well, Nikki, thank you again for answering. I know that that question was a really vulnerable one and one that takes a lot of courage to speak honestly about. So I really appreciate that and for your candidness. Are there any platforms or websites for listeners to learn more about you and find your music? Yeah, I have a website. It's just NikkiSon.com. And also I'm on Facebook, Instagram. So follow me and add me. I post them pretty frequently on Instagram on what I'm up to, what I'm eating. (laughs) So yeah. yeah, connect with me. Perfect. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. I look forward, as I said earlier, to performing your music and seeing you very soon. Yeah, I'm super excited for that, too. Thanks for having me today. Of course. And if you're in the Houston area or Texas somewhere, come out March 3rd and see the premiere of Nikki's Violin Concerto. Yes, mark your calendars. And thank you for listening. Say bye, Sushi.